Hey, ladies and gents, welcome to the Controlled Interest Gamecast, episode 258. I am your host, Jared Weich. As always, I am joined by my co-host and marathon runner, Dominic Orlando. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm one of those weird, insane people that for some reason decided to run 26 miles all at once for fun. For the last couple of weeks of Twitter, you can put in your Twitter bio, marathon runner now. It's official. It counts. That's true. I can put anything in my Twitter. I could pay eight <laughs> bucks and apparently be anyone I want, uh, guys. Man, there was a thing today about somebody pretending to be a, uh, I think a um, insulin provider, and uh, oh. they tweeted like, "Oh, insulin is free now," and the stocks of that company dropped, like, cost them millions of dollars. So, it's incredible. Uh, shout out to Elon Musk uh, providing a perfect example for everyone that just because you're rich and the head of a company doesn't mean that a you know what you're doing and two you should be in that position in the first place. Oh man, uh, yeah. Uh, but it's cool, man, that you're not everybody could say they've ran a marathon or at least finished a marathon. Uh, we talked about before, like you're a different breed. I hate running. I don't know if it's because I have flat feet or if just I'm a sane person. unlike you, but man, yeah, just a few more I, brain cells than me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but congrats on that is awesome. How, how long uh, was it officially? Like the total? It was three hours and 44 minutes and a couple of seconds. And then in terms of like running distance, how long was it? 26.2 miles. Jesus, yeah. man, the amount of times I dreaded going into school and having to run the, the timed uh, mile for like school mm-hmm. and I'm, you're like, oh yeah, I ran 20 times that. I'm like, oh God. <laughs> yeah. Different breed. I remember, I remember that in like elementary school the first time running the mile. I did not like it then. It's no good. Uh, did you guys have the presence test in Michigan where you had to like do everything and yep. like you had to do a certain amount of pull-ups, a certain amount of yep. this. Even like yeah. stretching, all that weird stuff. Yeah. I'm like, dude, I'm 13 years old. I'm like a bigger guy. There's no shot I'm doing a pull-up. Like, give me a break. Like me to do. I knew yeah. dudes who were like in really good shape at that age. Boys, I shouldn't say dudes. Boys, and they could barely do a pull-up. I'm like, what? What are we doing here? Like, come on now. Well, and there was no like, um, adjustment for like each person. Like, yeah, like dudes way taller than me are gonna have a, a, a higher jump, and exactly. the thing isn't measured based on your starting height or whatever. I don't know. Weird stuff like that. Pull-ups too. It's like there should be other variables that affect your score if we're really going to do this it's not like a standard anyway it's not the military yeah, yeah. I guess. <laughs> total, total total tangent there um yeah we're gonna start with some some sad news unfortunately uh rest in peace kevin conroy a legendary voice mm-hmm. actor and voice of batman for millions of people uh kevin conroy has passed away at the age of 66 following a bout with cancer um interestingly enough i think you and i both in a generation of people connected with him because of his portrayal of batman in batman the animated series uh but i think the newer generation of people probably fell in love with him also for his performance of batman but through the arkham games and a ton of other video games he voiced batman in the injustice titles uh most recently he played batman in multiverses he's also done some other video game roles he was a background actor in uh jack and daxter the precursor legacy which is interesting and a little weird bit there. Yeah. um, I, there was a story that came out that I haven't had a chance to fully read, but um, I guess Kevin Conroy talked about how playing Batman helped him uh, come in touch with his queer side, which I didn't know about. And something I want to look into. Uh, He was just always a stand-up guy. Anybody who's ever met him at a convention says that he's as great of a person as you'd expect him to be. And, I think the greatest compliment any performer, whether that be voice acting, live action, whatever they do, uh, even artists uh, of any medium, 
I think the greatest compliment they can have is when their performance is so tied to a character that people can't detach those two things from one another. And uh, I don't know if you're this way, Don, but for me, whenever I am reading a comic uh, and Batman's talking, I hear it in Kevin Conroy's voice in my head. And that's pretty magical. I think it's something special that not a lot of people can pull off. And I think that's why he resonated so much with people because he brought like a, a layered sense of like empathy and passion to the character. And it's hard for me to detach him from being my Batman. And I'm assuming you're very much the same way, right? Yeah, definitely. Cause yeah, I think most people our age, you know, that grew up watching the animated series and then yeah, later on playing the Arkham games, like to me, Kevin Conroy is kind of like the baseline. That's Batman, right? Everything, everyone else who does it, there's other people who've done it really well too, of course, but it's all to me, it's always kind of compa- being compared to him. Just same with the Joker for Mark Hamill. And like, that's the Joker laugh, like, is the Mark Hamill one. But for sure, Kevin Conroy is just, I don't know. To me, he's Batman. Like, that is like the, the definitive way he sounds. So, you know, I, we can talk about like everyone else, like, like you know, Christian Bale or Pattinson or whatever else. But like, it's kind of like even the live action ones, I feel like they don't quite, I don't know. To me, Batman is Kevin Conroy in that voice. Just kind of, um, that's what it is and set this extreme i was super um upset to hear about this um because yeah that's that's just tough right it's a huge loss and uh it, it is a bummer that you know we talked about this i think during the release of gotham knights that it's about like when are we going to get the next batman game and this even hits harder in the fact that like by the time we do get that next game it's not going to be him voicing him. And that's not to say somebody else can't come in and deliver a great performance as Batman. It's definitely not like a gatekeeping thing, but it's one of those things like, if you have the option of Kevin Conroy, why do anybody else? (laughs) You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And to your point, I think, yeah, a lot of the live action portrayals of the character, I think honestly, it's because they don't really go for the same type of thing Conroy does. And the thing with him in in being an animated form, uh, whether through video games or even in the films or Batman the Animated Series, is that it's so pulpy that he can capture the comic book nature of it. Whereas when you enter live action, that become like it comes off a little bit more hokey. Like the mm-hmm. the closest thing that anybody's ever tried to do that with in live action is like the Adam West Batman, right? Which, uh, for some people, obviously they have a nostalgic connection. For a lot of people, it doesn't really age all that well. It's a little bit hokey and uh you know not all that uh doesn't fit modern sensibilities but it, it is a bummer and uh I, I don't know it it just sucks when people pass away i mean it's kind of like yeah, yeah. it sucks when people die uh unfortunately with him too it was cancer um this isn't something where somebody lived a long life to their 80s or 90s and died of natural causes this was something that was you know mostly out of his control for the most part because that's how cancer is and it's just a bummer, man. Like we've said it before, and we'll say it again. Fuck cancer. Like it just, mm-hmm. it sucks. Um, he was sixty six, and I don't know. Some people might point to that and be like, "He's pretty old." To me, sixty six is like nothing really. Uh, I think that he. I don't know. It just it sucks, man. <laughs> I don't know what it else does. It's it's just shitty. Um, even like in any scenario, like regardless, you know, of, of how old or how long or you know not good of a life someone lived it's never you know even if you can point like say it's the most natural thing in the world eventually everyone everyone goes of course but that doesn't mean it doesn't you know hurt um when we lose yeah and then man cancer too is so so fickle in the ways it attacks people because 
there's cases of people who are lifelong smokers for 80 who've never even had signs of lung cancer. Yeah. And there's people who are 28 years old have never touched anything like that in their lives get lung It's mm-hmm. Sometimes it just doesn't make sense, unfortunately. So rest in peace to Kevin Conroy. I wonder if we'll eventually see, maybe he did have some projects in the work that we can see some more of him to some extent. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a bummer. Um, yeah, it's probably, you know, we often talk about celebrity deaths and do they touch you or not? And obviously to some extent, it's a little weird because you don't have a, a straight personal connection with these people, but somebody like him who does so much in the entertainment medium you're bound to connect to that person because they deliver these performances that connect you in some way and kind of develop you as a person too, from childhood. Um, Kevin Conroy is pretty close to one of the most tragic losses in terms of somebody that's affected my life. The only one that I can think of for me personally that hit just as hard, if not harder was Robin Williams. Yes. Uh, That one was really tough. Um, Yeah. I wasn't old enough to comprehend the loss of uh, Chris Farley, but like it just mm-hmm. whenever these people die who provide you with so much entertainment, it it sucks, man. Sucks. You know, hopes and hopes and prayers out to his family, and I, I hope he had something in the works that we can see that like the one last Kevin Conroy project. Because if not, uh, you know, I'm gonna be revisiting those Arkham games just to get you know. Honestly, yeah. I feel like I want to go back and rewatch the, the animated series again. That's what I'm going to do now for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, maybe one of these days we can do like our favorite episodes of the series as like a side topic. We can come in with our 10 favorite episodes or something. That'd be pretty cool. Maybe five I'd favorite be into episodes. That. Yeah. And switching subjects, <laughs> turning the steering wheel uh, to something a lot more exciting. Uh, Control 2 is officially official. Mm-hmm. Now, you may be saying, Jared, I thought we already knew this was uh, in production. I'll get to that. So, Remedy Entertainment tweeted, quote, We have signed an agreement with 505 Games to co-develop and co-publish Control 2, a sequel to Control. Quote, This is a very exciting moment for us. End quote, says uh, Mikhail Kazurinin, game director of the Control franchise. This announcement comes a year after the studio announced a new follow-up project to Control that was in early stages of development. Remember, this came along with the announcement of Alan Wake 2 uh, and then that other project. Uh, so it's exciting. This is officially official. 505 Games uh, published the first title, uh, Control. If you haven't played it, go check it out. I actually have been thinking about going back and replaying it to some extent because there was some side parts of that game that I didn't fully dive into that I, I think I, I should have uh, just because I was a bit more of in a rush to get to the end of that game uh unfortunately but man such a cool distinct unique world i'm assuming dom will get this after alan wake 2 right it seems like alan wake 2 is the next thing and then it'll be control 2 yeah because i'm pretty i want to say that they said alan wake 2 would be 2023 might be wrong on that but i think they said holiday maybe so who knows but yeah it could end up getting pushed into 24 potentially i guess but so yeah it seems like that's much farther along than um than Alan Wake or than than Control too, but man, I'm pumped. This is great news. Um, yeah, Control was an I love that game. That kind of caught me by surprise. I probably shouldn't. It probably shouldn't have. I just didn't pay enough attention to it before it came out. But when I finally got around to playing it, um, everything about it. I love that weird kind of. It's not so not necessarily a horror game, you know, like like a Dead Space or or something like that. But it just has like the spookiest atmosphere and this uneasiness and this mystery around everything that goes on that that to me is like the most unique thing about it but man that gameplay was awesome too just 
uh, floating around, zipping shit at people, just telekinesis, all that kind of stuff. The gunplay was awesome. Um, yeah, I, I adored that game. I was I can't wait for the sequel. It's one of the best superhero games. It, obviously, it's not seen like that. It's not meant to be that genre, but it is a superhero game for better or mm-hmm. worse, and it, it nails that. And, you know, uh, Quantum Break, I think it was a very underrated game. The TV aspect of that game kind of weighed it down a lot, but when you get to the actual gameplay moment-to-moment stuff of Quantum Break, I thought it had a lot of fun stuff in there. And anybody who played that game and then played Control can see that this is like the best evolution of that. It took away all of those parts that didn't need to be there. It kind of amped up the weirdness. Anybody who's familiar with like David Lynch television shows or projects, it very much has that vibe, like you said, where it's not traditional horror. It's more like creep you out and make you a little bit yeah. off-put by the weirdness of it all. Um the villain of that game has a lot of Hannibal Lecter vibes to him in the best of ways. Yeah, I can't wait. And once again, thumbs up for female protagonists in games too. Uh, we yeah, don't really get any of those Jesse Faden uh, awesome. So, and she, looking she forward to that. A, a really great, a really interesting character in general. I, I don't know. I really liked her in that game. Yeah, I think she's the closest we've gotten in a video game to. Uh, is it is Scully the female from X Files? Couldn't tell you. Yeah, but I wasn't somebody who grew up watching X-Files, but through pop culture, I've just kind of taken in what that series was and what that character meant to people. And forgive me if it's not Scully, if it's the other name, uh, but uh, just anecdotally, I've uh, I've kind of seen people kind of relate those two characters. Um, so yeah, to your point, she was, she was awesome. Next up, I have a slate of stuff here, which is basically what we missed. We haven't recorded the last couple of weeks for various circumstances. So here's some news that we missed and I wanted to touch on uh, for us, Tom. So we'll go through these. First up, Netflix announced they've partnered with Xbox Game Studios and Microsoft to develop a live-action Gears of War film and adult animated series. Uh, About damn time. Uh, This was maybe like a year and a half ago we were talking about Paramount Plus possibly hopping in on this, which I'm kind of, as cool as the Sonic movies are, though I haven't gotten to the sequel yet, I'm kind of glad it's Netflix doing this and not them. Um, the adult animated series, that's not like, uh, you know, it, it just means like probably violence and gore and stuff. It's not like of the sexual variety of, <laughs> of adult animation. I didn't even think of it that way, but I guess you, yeah, you some could, people yeah. have. Yeah, I read it. I was like, okay, it's going to be violent. It's going to be like adult. What a weird way to, um, the cool thing is Dave Batista, uh, you know, when, when this tweet came out of this happening, I, funny enough, made a, a quote to it and said, Dave Batista, you up, because everybody wants him to play Marcus Phoenix. And one thing I didn't see originally was that he actually tweeted this, and it was a video of him in the full Gears of War armor, and it basically, he tagged Netflix, and he said, I couldn't make it any easier. Uh, so he's in. Man. He wants to be in. Oh. Uh, my dream casting, and this is, I think, another topic we can do on a future show, Dom, is casting the Gears of War movie. Mm-hmm. For me... I would love for him to play Marcus Phoenix. I think he has both the stature and he's an underrated actor. A lot of these wrestling or athlete type guys go into acting and you kind of see, like, I love John Cena, but outside of Peacemaker, I think his acting has kind of been not that great. Uh, yeah. But people like John David Washington, who I think a lot of people forget he was once an NFL athlete, uh, Denzel Washington's son, uh, who was in Tenet and a lot of other projects. He was an NFL athlete, and obviously he's a tremendous actor now. Dave Batista, out of all the wrestlers, I think has taken it seriously. Like, uh, I haven't watched Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I heard he's amazing in that. I watched yeah. the short, the prelude that came out before that movie, and he was excellent in it. Obviously, we have the Guardian I, stuff. I uh, just watched uh, Blade Runner uh, like I don't know two or three weeks ago for the first time. <laughs> awesome. Um, 
I didn't know he was in it, but that's exactly what I was going to say was he was really good in that. And um, I actually kind of forgot who he was. And then I thought I recognized him and then had to look it up like, oh, yeah, that's David Batista. That's the Guardians of the Galaxy guy. And yeah, he was great. I could totally see him um, in, in gears and, and doing a great job. I hope I hope this happens uh, like that. And I think that can elevate the show to have someone. It feels very Henry Cavill with The Witcher, right? To someone who's get someone who's a bigger name actor. Um, I don't know how you can, could compare them talent wise, but at least they're known, and that could elevate this and show. Somebody who's passionate, right? In front of the it's already built in. Yeah, so I can see that being cool. And he was in Dune too. Uh, wasn't a prominent character, but he oh, was yeah. like one of the big baddies in Dune. He, he's a great actor. You still haven't seen Guardians, Dom? You need to see Guardians, man. I know you like those movies. Uh, out of all the Marvel stuff, I think you did Guardians and Guardians too. He's a, he plays a huge part in that. Um, I want John Bernthal as Dom. That's who I want. Oh yeah, good one. Yeah, I think John Bernthal. I, even if he's not Dom, if he's a different character uh Baird or somebody I think John Bernthal just his whole vibe fits the Gears universe um I hope he's in it I, th- this movie can be a real like I'm not expecting this to be an Oscar nominated movie I want this to be a balls to the wall action movie that's just awesome and that's all I'm anticipating from it I don't want it to be as broy and as like bad it's good as the Fast franchise I just want mm-hmm. it to be a really good action movie um so Hope it happens. Uh, Dave Bautista, if I was Netflix, I'd be on the phone with him right now trying to get that contract settled because, oh, yeah. yeah, he's A, he's a big name, so he adds the marketing to it. And B, I think so many people want him to be in it that him wanting to be in it, and then if he isn't, I think will be a shame. And it's not it's not like Marvel where there, it's a franchise that's already established that it's going to cast people regardless of what the fan castings say. This is just a new Netflix project, and... Mm-hmm. Netflix is very much hit or miss with its license stuff. It's kind of miss on the live action anime front. And I think to ingratiate people and alleviate worry, it would be a good move to bring him on as early as possible. So people know he's attached to the project in terms of the animated series. I haven't gotten to yet, but apparently the cyberpunk anime is really dope. Um, so if it's anywhere near first, that, I'll be excited. I watched the first, I don't know, five episodes of that. And, um, kind of tapered off it was really cool and then i just sort of lost interest but um yeah that that cyberpunk one is um I, I'll, I'll end up finishing it i have to they're short episodes because yeah i really liked it um but just for some reason lost interest in the last episode but i wanted to mention because i had it in my head the guy who i wanted else aside from dave batista in the gears of war live action uh project was russell crowe for some reason i don't know how old he is anymore but I don't think I've ever seen him in the movie Gladiator. I don't know if you're familiar, but um, I think if I'm familiar with Gladiator, one of the best movies of all time. Yeah. Oh, is it? I didn't. Okay. See, that's what I, I didn't know how big it was. Okay. Yeah, was Gladiator's like revered critically. It's like yeah. Okay. I didn't. I I had a, like a sense that I watched it for the first time like a decade ago, so it was already it was still kind of old then because it came out in like I feel like the late '90s or something. But I don't know. That guy in that movie just like gives me goosebumps, and he's like so fucking angry all the time. And just I, I could just see him in this Gears of War movie. He could play the old general from Gears One. I forget his name. Yeah, oh, yeah, Johnson see? or something. Yeah, something like that. I don't know. That for some reason I just had this guy in my head of like he'd be good in here. Um, but anyway. <laughs> yeah, I, man, I, I hope it's good. Uh, yeah, Netflix is like I said, they're hit or miss. And one of the things I'm excited about uh, that is you know f- the fan base is pretty trepidatious about is the live action 
Avatar The Last Airbender series. But the thing that has me most intrigued is the casting because unlike the M. Night Shyamalan movie, it's all all the parts that are supposed to be indigenous people, like the water tribe, like Katara, uh, you know, uh, even like Aang and all they're they're all casting them to be the 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 what they're supposed to, uh, which which I appreciate. Like, you know, they're casting mostly Asian uh actors and actresses and I think it has a chance to be really good. Like in terms of narrative and writing, I don't know how well that's going to do, but the fact that they're taking the time to cast appropriately is more care than that has put into any live action, uh, <laughs> at least from the Dragon Ball or Avatar series of the films, uh, sure. you know, more care put in there than we've seen. Uh, next up, speaking about live action adaptations of video games, we have the premiere date for The Last of Us, Dom. Last of Us is hitting HBO January 15th, 2023, starting off the year right. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm, yeah. Like, I wish I could just go to sleep and wake up and, and it'd be that day so I could watch this show. Um, I didn't think it was going to be that soon. I thought it was going to be maybe in the summer or something, but I'm so pumped. I'm glad it's so soon. And ugh, I, I feel like, I I think we must have talked about it before, but man, I, I the the level of marketing already that HBO is putting towards this like there's I feel like they're selling it as like you know one of their top shows like as much as they've marketed um, Game of Thrones or even House of the Dragon and that kind of stuff like um, unfortunately it, it looks like 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 they canceled that Westworld show that had been going for a few seasons before it finished but I don't know I'm just I feel like HBO gets it and is taking it very seriously and I'm just getting more and more excited by the day for the Last of Us show. Well, I mean, the pattern that they're currently hitting for me is awesome because it went from Hard Knocks, which I, I love, to House of the Dragon, to now they're doing Hard Knocks mid-season, which is a new thing, where they take a different team and they're with them mid-season. It's the Cardinals, and it's a tr- it, the first episode premiered this Wednesday, and boy, is it as dysfunctional as you'd imagine, and it's great. Wow. I love it. Uh, and then it, we're getting Last of Us in January, like, Obviously, we're not going to expect House of the Dragon until 2024 at the earliest, unfortunately. But if they can hit this cadence where we're getting, like, a Game of Thrones series in the fall and then, like, Last of Us that following uh, early year, uh, every other year, uh, that'd be dope. That'd be really cool. So, Though, I don't think Last of Us is going to go on as long as... I think House of the Dragon probably has, like, five to seven seasons in it. uh, Whereas Last of Us, I don't know if they're... I say like two, three seasons max. Yeah. Who knows? That's what I would guess. We just don't even know where they're starting at uh, and how they're going to tell the story uh, and how much of the first season is going to cover how much of the first game. But uh, Especially we'll with how the second game, the events of it obviously like overlap, not like overlap timeline-wise, but they're obviously greatly impacted in the first game. And now that we know things that happen in the second game, like – does that impact how you tell the story of the first game in season one? I don't know the answer to that question. I mean, I have a preference, I guess, but I hope it doesn't. But Whether knows, it's I the end of season one or season two, but when the Last of Us show gets to the end of The Last of Us, will they introduce Abby, right? Exactly. Like, will exactly. we see Abby is the thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, exciting there. Can't wait. Uh, something that's not as exciting, unfortunately. PlayStation via their own blog announced PlayStation VR 2 launching February 22nd, 2023, with pre-order starting November 15th for $549.99 US. $550, more expensive than the console. 
tough blow, Dom, uh, for this supposedly being the general consumer's VR headset. What do you think this price does for it? Uh, and like, how do you feel? How do you feel in terms of what the level of success that can have at the, that price point? Is it dependent on the, the, the launch library? Is it dependent on where we are financially with inflation in the country? Like, what does 550 do for you and for what do you think the general audience for the PSVR 2? I think, I mean, it, it keeps it niche like it's been, right? Like, VR hasn't, like, there's been, like, those weird little devices um, and even, like, that weird cardboard thing you put your phone into and stuff like that oh, yeah. that is more accessible. But, like, in general, it, it I don't think it's broke into, like, a wider market yet. It feels like it stayed very niche and very, like, tech fanatic kind of territory. Um, and it and I feel like reading through, again, like, the technology and, all, like, how cool this this new headset actually is. Um, like, the, the screens are OLED and, like, I think near 4K or, like, all that kind of stuff and the different track, all the stuff that goes into it. It's, like, you could totally see why it costs as much as it does. Um I don't doubt that it costs them a lot to build these and their parts are getting expensive and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but I think, yeah, what that, what that means is what you just can't expect to sell it to, you know, you're not going to sell tens of millions of these things. You're going to sell a couple million at best, right. Over a few years, just like the first one. Cause, uh, yeah, that's a lot. I mean, that's more than the, the console required to play it itself. So overall you're looking at, you know, a, a, almost $1,100 or $1,100 more than that with tax and everything for the PS5 and the headset. And because of the way the controllers or the tracking works or whatever, it's not just straight up backwards compatible with the existing PSVR library. I'm sure like some of those games will get updated to work, um, but that's a huge bummer because that was already a smaller library. Um, and so to not have even the existing stuff just makes it a really tough sell my opinion to the common even like the average ps5 owner it's kind of like a tough like i don't know how you get someone to get into it especially at launch i'm sure that that's they're hoping that horizon vr game is going to do the lifting there but i just don't see that being enough they're going to have to like have other big software investments into it to make you know to sell a lot of these and if i don't know Maybe eventually when we get past the point where there's so many um, exclusives, exclusive games on each VR platform, like, you know, Half-Life Alex is only on, you know, Vive or whatever. And then there's going to be... Index. Yeah, and I don't know. It, it, it's just tricky. It just seems like maybe VR, a lot of us expected it to blow up, right? And eventually we'd get there to the point where, like, it's more common. Maybe not quite as common as game consoles themselves, but, but you know more than just an add-on a peripheral um and i just this isn't it right we're not we're not there yet if we ever will be there and i don't know that we will so yeah i think the worry for me is that i would have hoped that playstation would either try to break even or lose little money on each sale of the ps vr2 with the goal of flooding the market with the technology and then trying to make up that money on the back end with software uh, because they wholly believe in the actual tech. I'm not saying they don't believe in it, but with this price point, it leads me to believe that they want to try to turn a profit or at the very least break even, which to me 
worries me that they're not fully invested in keeping this as a long lasting like a uh, sector of PlayStation. Um mm-hmm. and I could totally see play the you know launch of PlayStation 6 maybe we should we were aren't even worrying about a PSVR 3 because it's just that's not where the market is headed and uh, you know they tried VR a while ago and then it came back like you know 5 to 7 years ago and yeah to your point I don't know if it's just too early to where it, we're just not at that point yet in society where people are vying for an experience in which they can get a VR headset and escape reality to that extent. And honestly, I wonder if maybe COVID hurt people to that extent too, because we were so closed in and forced to live in our homes and not be able to do anything that we might be seeing an era in which people want to spend more time outdoors or spend more time doing things because we face the reality of not having those freedoms to some extent. And obviously freedoms is a bit hyperbolic. I'm not saying people's freedoms were taken away. But, you know, for in order to make everyone safe, we did our own thing and made sure we were safe while protecting everyone else. And I wonder if we're flipping to this point in which, yeah, people aren't interested in buying VR. They'd rather spend that money to go hiking at a a, a resort or go do these different things. And I do think we might be entering an era in which people are looking for experiences outside, like real person-to-person experiences, and maybe VR is kind of uh falling by the wayside because of that unfortunately because of what we had to endure with covid and that's like um the whole industry that i mean sales were up in 2020 and 2021 but i think or maybe i'm like maybe it was just 2021 like they started to go back down basically like as things started to open back up people got out of their houses again they were buying less video games in general um and certainly you'd only multiply that for vr right being it's more expensive and more immersive and so on so like that's this is this moment is maybe not the best time to to try to sell though um, when the industry is like on a slight downturn and, and then you add in economic the whole situations economic. too yeah yeah exactly um but maybe that's, that's a funny thing sorry go ahead but like i don't like i don't know we're we're kind of in this like thing of like this this do or die like 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 blow up or bust because it feels like that's how most technology is viewed like because that's how like google treats things or whatever it's either it doesn't set the world on fire after a year then we're canceling it it was a failure it was a waste of money or or just we tried it and it didn't work and that's okay they accepted that risk but i don't know if if there is like that weird like sort of middle ground for them with this where they're like yeah we're not necessarily trying to make money from it but maybe just like recoup the investment to some extent to some percentage enough so that we can prolong it to keep it and maybe it's going to take an, another decade before it like fully grows into something like meaningful or it just stays the size it is and that's okay and they just like it or something i don't know i don't i just don't know exactly what they want out of it because it feels like everyone's perception has been like oh yeah vr is going to blow up and it's going to be the biggest thing ever and like that just hasn't happened but who's the one saying that like are, like you know what I mean? I don't know if maybe, yeah. that, maybe that's not what Meta. they're trying to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, the biggest tell to me is that Microsoft hasn't entered the VR marketplace in any meaningful yeah. way. That's a good point. And yeah, at all. And they're a company who they don't hop on trends, but if they see something that's viable, they tend to invest marketing and research into that, and uh, you know R and D research and development. And I, the fact that they haven't even come close to touching that is interesting to me 
it's the same thing about them not really touching portable like handheld consoles at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, they haven't really touched that either. And we've seen PlayStation kind of uh, escape that whole venture with the, the Vita and the PSP. So I, I don't know. We'll see. Um, I, it's a weird place. VR is something that I definitely think that at a point in my life, I'll dive deep into and get fully invested in. But at this point, I just don't see the return on investment, not only from yeah. a price standpoint, but from, yeah, I don't know. I just, it, it's, it's in a weird place, man. I, I don't know. We have people trying to launch a whole metaverse and we can't even get VR off the ground. Like, I don't, I don't know what's going on. Um, we'll see. I think the people who are the PlayStation diehards will fully invest in this. But in terms of the general audience, people are struggling enough to get their hands on the console. So I don't know if those type of people are going to be springing out to get something that has even less software for it. That's more expensive. Mm-hmm. Like you're just going to be spending what over a thousand dollar, probably like twelve hundred dollars after taxes for the console and PSVR two, when you can get a a PC and a a, a which one's the the wireless one? Is it the 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 Quest? It's, it's two. Yeah, it's the Facebook one, the Meta one. Yeah, which thankfully they got rid of that whole thing where you had to like enter in your Facebook account. Luckily, um, yeah, we'll see what happens. I just thought that price point was kind of crazy. We've talked about. Will it be cheaper? Will it be more expensive? And they're like, nah, it's five fifty. You deal with it. I, um, and then, like, the last thing about it, I guess, is I feel like maybe a lot of that's a, a moot point anyway because they're gonna sell out because they're not gonna be they're not gonna make that many, and they're probably gonna be hard to find. So, for but will it be artificial <laughs> scarcity? Right. That's the well, thing. It'll pr- just for lack of them, like, oh, we sold out all. You can't find a PS Five anywhere, but they've sold you know ten million. Whereas this will be like, we can't find a PSVR 2 anywhere, but like they've only sold 500,000. So it's like they didn't, they just didn't make that much because they're expensive to make. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so I feel like it, maybe they'll lean into that and like allow that scarcity to just kind of try to make it feel valuable. I don't know. When really it's just they don't want to pay to make too many or something. I don't know. My hope would be that maybe two companies come together to make one VR headset that because of both of their technologies maybe lowers the price a bit and adds in both libraries to make it more because that's the thing like you said all of them there's so many different vr headsets and they all have exclusive games yeah. to where all of them kind of hurt because of that like i'd love if playstation just partnered with steam on the steam index and it was the you know maybe they stopped making their own psvr headset and the steam index was just compatible with playstation consoles or something so, like that i can't remember who was talking about it but i, I want, maybe it was like gary Wood or someone on kind of funny did mention that all these a lot of the new features on this PSVR two were already done by yeah either the Steam Index or, or the Vive one of the other or, ones yeah that like they were like kind of uh, like those are the features that the other units are doing or plan on doing already so like the more that the technology itself can become similar I feel like should help uh, not an entire partnership but at least the games will be easier to kit onto each platform right when the controllers and the tracking and all that technology is working similarly kind of like how xbox is so similar to pc that it's like easier to you know put games on both the, that's kind of the one worry with help. that is playstation is the most closed off right to partnering with other people like if microsoft had a headset in the situation i'd be much more optimistic that they would form a partnership with somebody because they've shown the willingness mm-hmm. to do that whereas with playstation they tend to be so closed off sometimes to their detriment sometimes to their benefit uh, that that's what kind of worries me with them. I'm just hoping they're maybe a little bit more open to that idea. 
Speaking of open partnerships, remember when we talked about EA and Marvel partnering for three games, Dom? Well, according mm-hmm. to Jeff Grubb of Giant Bomb, here's how the developer video game split up is happening. Motive is working on Iron Man, which we kind of already knew that. Uh, but the new Washington State studio, do you remember this was reported last year in October? We talked about EA opening a mystery, a mysterious new studio in Seattle, Washington, working on an unannounced project. Okay, yeah, it sounds right. They're the studio working on Black Panther. Okay. And no studio is determined for the third game yet. So out of three games, we know Mode is working on Iron Man, the new Washington State studio is working on Black Panther, which, I mean, if that ends up being their initial game and ends up being as dope as it sounds, the open world Black Panther game, that'll be really cool for them. Um, which is funny that EA went from single player games aren't worth our time or investment to we're opening up a new studio and their so, their first project is a single player Black Panther game. What a turnaround! Shout out to Respawn and Star Wars Fallen Order. You'll never get the credit you deserve for honestly maybe being the single turning point for EA's business strategy, yeah. uh, which is kind of crazy to think about. Shout out to them, Vincent Pala. You're you're goaded with the sauce, as the kids would say. Um. <laughs> Next up, uh, we're not going to talk about this too much, but I wanted to touch on it. Required reading for this week. The link for this will be in the description on YouTube. Mick Gordon versus Marty Stratton and id Software. Award-winning composer Mick Gordon tweeted the following on November 9th, 2022. Quote, Marty Stratton, id Software Studio Director, lied about Doom Eternal's OST events in a Reddit post that used disinformation to blame me entirely for its failure. Later, he offered me a six-figure sum to never speak about it. The truth is more important. He then linked to a lengthy and in-depth post on his own Medium blog discussing his full statement regarding the situation that occurred with id Software during the development of Doom Eternal. It's a must-read, and like I said, is linked in the YouTube description. Fascinating. It's disappointing uh, from the perspective of uh, Marty Strand and its software, the way they handled the whole situation. I feel bad for Mick Gordon. Um, I have yet to play Doom Eternal, but I remember when that game came out, I own it and I still haven't played it, which is... Just video game, just, you know, they have the just girly things, meme, just video gamer things. Uh, a lot of people talked about how the uh, soundtrack in uh, Doom Eternal, if you took that and you put in Audacity or another audio editing program, and you took the soundtrack from the original Doom, well, not the original, you know, the reboot, uh, 2018, or 2016, uh, and you put them side by side, the technical detail in the Doom soundtrack versus the Doom Eternal one was not even close it was like night and day and there's a lot of in-depth stuff here about falsely accusing mick gordon kind of ruining his professional credibility to to a, a, a large extent not great stuff i mean when you hear about somebody offering a six-figure settlement to not speak about it again essentially a six-figure nda that kind of shows who's guilty <laughs> honestly yeah. in that yeah. scenario um it's That's a, a bummer I, if you're gonna do that and offer someone that you gotta really make sure they accept it <laughs> otherwise you look like an asshole yeah especially somebody who's so closely associated to what people loved about a game like yeah, obviously the gameplay of, of doom was its strength but what what often followed that it's like the gameplay is just super fulfilling and engaging and it feels good just to shoot shit but the soundtrack right that's all you'd hear from people is yeah. the soundtrack the way the game felt with the music blaring mick gordon is as much doom as id software is in my opinion. And that's what makes this whole thing disheartening. So don't want to get it too, into it too in depth. Uh, did you have a chance to check this out at all, Dom? I didn't read like his entire thing, but I think I read like just the tweet of this kind of a summary of it. Um, of yeah, that he definitely feels like he got the, 
a little fleeced, as I think I've heard some kids say on that deal. Um, yeah, it's a huge bummer because music is awesome. And the game is awesome. Like Eternal, I just played a few months ago, and um, it was excellent as as I expected it to be. But yeah, it's 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 a bummer because now, obviously, you hope he gets what he's owed <clears throat> and all that kind of stuff. But also, like, yeah, I'm not really expecting another Doom game with uh, Mick Gordon on the soundtrack in uh, my lifetime. That's yeah, that's not to say they can't find another talented composer, but it's not like Mick Gordon is replaceable. <laughs> you know what I mean? The same, yeah. the same way. Uh, the other story I I, uh, I didn't want us to talk about because it's very complicated and muddy and it's a lot of he said, she said, is the entire thing surrounding Disco Elysium, where oh, there's... I thought you were uh, going to say Bayonetta. Yeah, there's... A, oh, no, that no. whole thing. Jesus Christ. Yeah, that too. <laughs> that one, I... That one was a, she said, they said, oh, she said something <laughs> real wrong. Um, but this, this Coliseum, the people who left the company are claiming that the people who are now in charge kind of did it maliciously. The people who are now in charge of the studio are saying that those people were let go because of misconduct. It's like just firing shots back and forth at each other. Um, so when we get a more definitive answer as to what exactly is going on there, I definitely want to cover it because... You know, Disco Elysium is considered one of the best narratively written games in a long time. And uh, the fact that those people are that, that made that game are no longer going to be a part of the studio who made that game is very fascinating. I just want to see more detail on what exactly is going on instead of, oh, they said this, they said this, and we don't actually know what the truth is. Because to your point with Bayonetta, if we would have talked about that story right after the initial voice actor made their announcement, it would have painted Nintendo and the developers in a bad light whereas when all the information came out it turns out maybe everything wasn't as it seemed you know uh so just want to wait for more information there yeah that's it for the news anybody still listening i just want to say that we're going to be talking about dom and i both played about the first two hours of god of war ragnarok so we're going to be talking about that we're going to be talking about i guess you could consider them spoilers because they're in the game but we're in the first two hours of supposedly a 30 to 50 hour game so take that as you will if you consider them spoilers or not. But I just want to talk about our experiences with the game from the top. And we can talk about the story mo- moments uh, and, and all of that. Um, to, to, for people to, to know exactly where the, about the two-hour cutoff is, it's when you go to Brock and Sindri's house after departing from Kratos and Atreus' home. So if you've played up until that point, you kind of know what we're talking about. Their home in the realm between realms. So... Uh, initial thoughts we can go with both of us tom uh first off the game looks gorgeous no surprise i loved that they had the god of war recap not that i necessarily needed one but i thought the way it was done was really nice Uh, it all played into the opening scene where like it cuts to the right of kratos and you see like a storyboard kind of memory and then when you start the game it just like removes the menu and he stands like he's right there where he was at the campfire i love that very clean entrance what i will say is Obviously, PlayStation makes incredible games, but one thing I think that they've absolutely nailed better than a lot of other games is the opening sequence of games, where it's a natural transition. Um, Also, I think the opening, when you start the game and that PlayStation Studios comes on, it feels like, like for me, somebody who loves the Marvel movies, and you go and sit in a theater and the Marvel Studios logo comes up and you get the little intro thing, it's it's just so good, and you know you're in for a quality experience, so... I absolutely enjoyed that. With that, like, with that branding of it and re- reinforcing what that means and how it makes you feel about what you're about to experience. <laughs> exactly. Kind of uh, shout out to it launching with the accessibility option menu. I think oh, yeah. every game needs to do that. 
One thing I, I found out too that I'm going to immediately implement in my playthrough is that in the menus, therefore, there's a puzzle uh, option to make it extended plus. And the reason you'd want to do that is because some people have complained that when you're solving a puzzle in the game, if you don't do it in a certain amount of time, your uh, companion character will just like yell out the solution. Uh, so I kind of don't huh. want that to happen. So I'm going to go into the menu and switch that. It's just an option that says puzzle and you switch it to extended plus. No, that's what so that make was. Sure that. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, we can get into more of the actual story and gameplay and all that stuff. But in terms of the intro for you, what did you think? And I, I saw you perk up when I said something about the recap. Yeah, so I, that's always helpful in a game that's incredibly story driven, and um, and one of the one of the things I did want to say about it so far after two hours is it's such a, it's very much a sequel, very much a direct continuation of exactly where the first game, not literally the day after because a, a few years have gone on or you know have since passed, but you're in the, you're in the same home in you know that that Kratos and Atreus are out in the first game in the same area in Midgard and um. It's just a direct continuation in a lot of ways. So that, especially with that in mind, having that that recap as soon as you boot this one up of like, what are the, you know what's everything that happened you know in the first game? Super nice to have that. Really nice the way it, it was edited together. And then and also because in this game, shit goes down almost immediately. And if you didn't remember the events of the first game, you might you know it wouldn't make as much sense. So it's really nice when they when they do something like that, like have that recap. So the first surprise of the game, does the bear thing happen before the Thor Odin thing or after? Before, right? Before, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you see that coming, that Atreus was actually the no. bear? That, I, I knew that, I figured the bear had some significance, um, but then, yeah, that really caught me off guard. And, and it, that, that moment when Kratos realizes that it was Atreus and... It, the, ugh, it, that it just like my heart sank right to see him react because normally it, he's mm, go over here you know doing his Kratos barely talking at no emotion really shown and to see like that that I could feel like what he was feeling like there like oh crap did I just like kill Atreus like you know what I mean the way he reacted and crawled over to to his son was just like whoa it was like so out of character but entirely believable and everything. Um, and then, yeah, I had no idea what was going on with that. I don't know why he was a bear or what, what happened there, but it was really cool. <laughs> I've dabbled a little bit with Norse mythology, so I know some stuff. And with Loki, obviously he's a trickster god, and he can uh, basically not transform, but create illusions in which he's something he's not. So I didn't know that he was the bear. What I thought, because they were playing so much on the wolf imagery in the game, you have the two wolves there, you have Fenrir, obviously he was taking uh, care of, I thought that he turned into a wolf and was chased by the bear. So I thought sure. there was some shenanigans with him. Uh, and maybe the blood was not only the bear attacking people, it was him attacking people or something. Uh, but I, yeah, I didn't see him being the bear coming at all. Um, it's, it's cool that they're playing with what is known about Norse mythology, but giving their own unique take on it. So you can know some stuff, but they can still catch you by surprise. Um, I do like that they aged him up. We knew this going into the game. This yeah. is something we didn't know, but just seeing it in play, I, I like that they didn't keep him close to the same age. I think having him be a teenager now and dealing with 
a boy entering manhood, I think has a lot of parallels to Kratos's journey into becoming a better man. And I think that works really well. Um, what I'm assuming is that the post credits for God of War 2018, when we see Thor at the door, I'm assuming that's meant to be the same scene we see in this. It's just that they, yeah, yeah, yeah they just they obviously there's a time part. skip and stuff, but they did it pretty well for for what it had to be. And what I will say is, the conversation between him and Thor, uh, and then when Odin comes in, is one of the best displays of tension building in yeah. a game I've ever oh, endured. Man. I think for it happening so that early in the game, I think. Mm-hmm. The writing was done so well. Ryan Hurst is phenomenal as Thor. Uh, Man, I when, want him uh, to be Sabretooth in the MCU so bad. I think he's such a good actor, and I've loved him ever since Remember the Titans, and he is killing it as Thor. I think the dude from West Wing, it's such a unique take on Odin, and it works so well because in this world, I'll, I'll, I'll draw a, a, a parallel here. So in Marvel, the reason Thor and Odin work so well is because Maybe not the first Thor, but after the the second Thor, when they turn it, him into a more comedic, playful character, it bounces off well of somebody like Anthony Hopkins, who's a very serious, dour Odin, right? He's who you expect Odin to be, this big, fierce man who's quiet and speaks few words, but you listen. But Thor works with that because they turn him into a comedic character that doesn't really know what he's doing. He's a very handsome good-looking man but he doesn't know what the hell he's doing he's kind of an idiot right he's a himbo as they'd call him in this it works so well because thor is played as this quiet asshole who is more powerful than any almost anybody he comes across and he doesn't he doesn't act out of violence because he respects other people it seems to me like and this is very early in the story he doesn't act out of violence because he sees no need because he's never in fear of anything happening He's just like, mm-hmm. I don't need a, I can attack you and do what I want with you whenever I please. So I don't even need to worry about you. But Odin in this game so far is size wise. He's smaller than you'd expect. Yeah. He's not a very, thinking. he's not a very monotone, serious, deep voiced, dour guy. He's more of like a, like a sly mobster type character, yes. which I kind of enjoy. And it kind of fits into the fact that he's more. You know, with his ravens and everything, he's not somebody who imposes people with power, though I don't doubt he has that. He's more about information than he is about power. And I think he understands that the information he has is more important to him than the strength he carries. Uh, and, so, like, when we find out that... Uh, so, like, obviously, Thor and, and Kratos start fighting, and then, you know... While that was going on, I was in my head, like, oh, dude, Atreus and Odin are just back at the house doing Lord knows what, Right? Um, and then you come to find out like, oh, you know, he just, you know, he invited me to Asgard and, you know, gave me some money and then left. And I'm thinking like, he's up to something. There's like some (laughs) mischievous bullshit Odin. Oh, I love it. I can't wait to figure out what exactly, you know, what kind of strings he's pulling with Atreus on all that. That was like really cool. But that's more interesting and terrifying than if he was the the prototypical, oh, he kidnapped Atreus or he hurt him or something. It's like. Mm-hmm. No, this bastard, this clever bastard is up to something. Yeah. Uh, before we talk about good. the Thor fight specifically, because that was awesome, I wanted to talk about the fact that two hours into the game, we've already had three like boss fights. We had the bear, yeah. we had the centaur, which I don't remember the exact name of the centaur boss. Like the, the huntress, something. Huntress. Hunter. And then we had uh, Thor, right? I think there was only mm-hmm. three. Awesome. 
I like that. I like the pacing yeah. of that where you're not you have the mob type fights where it's multiple mob characters to get you reassociated or associated with the gameplay and the combat. But I like that we're facing these little bit more difficult bosses and they seem to be more often than even in the original one, which I'm excited about because I like that challenge. I like facing tougher foes. Uh if there's anything you want to add about that, and then you can get directly into since I started with the the whole conversation, you can tell me your initial thoughts on the the Thor fight in general and how that kicks off. Yeah, so I that his intro or whatever, what is that scene from the post credits of the first game, where he's just standing, you know, twenty feet out from their front door, and as he walks up, like we've been used to, like seeing, you know, Kratos is huge in like every way. This guy's an absolute beast. But then as Thor, you know, walks through that door and the camera goes like over Thor's shoulder and you can kind of feel like Thor is a solid, like four or five feet taller than Kratos and even bigger. This is an enormous monster of a man. And like, it was just like the weirdest feeling of, of, yeah, having Kratos feel small right there. And and, and it was so intimidating, but then yeah, he just comes in and sits down and all that tension building. I really like, um, like during the fight, like all the, the, the shouting, um, from Thor to Kratos like show me who you really are and like oh man Ryan Hurst was just I just like felt all of it I was like that's really working like um because he's just trying to goad him into like you know being the you know the, the the god killer he was from the previous games and all that kind of stuff and he uses blades of chaos and all that and it was just uh yeah the whole fight that's to me like the fight itself is actually like it was you know that that combat's good so far it's not bad but it's you don't even have many variations of moves or anything at this point either. So it's pretty, there's, it's kind of basic still, but all that back and forth of them shouting at each other and the tension that led up to it. And, and really like the scene where that first, uh, like swing of the hammer that just sends Kratos just through the ceiling and (laughs) two miles into the sky, like came so abruptly, even though like we knew they were going to have to fight. Right. But then it just, the way it happened was just like, Oh, holy crap and then you just land in this arena and and like i don't know everything around it um the actual fight itself which is so good um it was so epic it felt like a blockbuster moment and to your point i think going into this my biggest worry not that the game wasn't going to be good but i was worried how much it was going to feel like 2018's god of war and to your point yeah it does feel like a straight-up sequel but i think in order for it to capture the magic of the of the audience and kind of take it to a next level it needed to hit those narrative moments. And I think so far through two hours, it has, because I think that's, what's going to lift it to be something better than its previous entry. And it is the subtle, small moments. Like my -hmm. favorite moment so far from the first two hours, isn't the fight with Thor as epic and awesome as it was. It's the conversation at that dinner table. I thought it was so well done. Like I said, the tension was incredible. And I loved that the fight didn't take place in one arena. It eventually evolved. There was cutscenes in between, and it felt very fluid. It didn't ever feel like you were being taken out of it by the action that was occurring. Uh, and God of War does a really good job of faking you out when you think you failed for being like bad at video games. You're just like, oh, oh damn, I yeah. should have been better. It like the part you where you die, screen. and then he's like, I'm not done with you yet. Yeah. Oh, that <laughs> so because it even has the loading screen with the tips. Yeah. So good. Uh, and that's the stuff that like you have to have somebody pretty brilliant on staff who thinks about those things because that isn't an obvious decision to make. Because you could easily be like, okay, fade to black, 
have them come back to life as he's saying the dialogue. But somebody's like, no, what if we just literally make it look like the loading screen? Like if there's the tips yeah. on screen, somebody might be like, well, then it kind of does feel like a fake out and will they feel bad about that and what's going to happen? It's like, no, but that's part of the immersion of like, because it's a video game, you know you're controlling a video game, though you want to get immersed in it, but something like that doesn't break you from the immersion, even though it should, right? Because you're like, oh, I'm seeing tips for a video game I'm playing, and this guy's talking about me not being dead yet, but it works for, yeah. I don't know, just because it's a video game. It's just awesome, and I, I love the point in which at Thor never felt as if he was there to kill Kratos. He even says, like, it's a blood debt. All mm -hmm. he wanted to see, and this is shows just the type of character Thor is, and Ryan Hurst is playing him tremendously. He just wanted to see if he could break him to get to the point in which he was the uncontrollable killer that everyone in Asgard knows he is. Mm -hmm. And the moment Thor saw him break, he's like, oh, "Okay, I'm good." You know what I mean? We're even. Yeah. Uh, and he, that's even super manipulative and. I, honestly, that pisses off Kratos more than anything. I think he'd much rather have somebody trying to kill him than somebody playing with him in that way. And that's what it felt like for Thor is he was playing with his his uh, his prey. And, like, there is a moment when, like, he was... Because Thor is... He's so mad because Kratos killed his kids or whatever. And then Kratos basically calls him out on that and is like, Dude, your kids hated you. Like, or I can't remember exactly what he says. He's like, they wanted you dead too or something. Um, And then Thor's like... Yeah, whatever. Just immediately, like, just admits that, like, yeah, you're right. I don't really give a shit, but I don't really care to get fatherly advice from you, Kratos, or whatever. And it's just like, oh, it's something about the way that went. Because you're like, part of what's driving Kratos to to not lose control like that is what doesn't, you know, that's what he's trying to teach Atreus, right? Is like, you can't just go killing gods willy nilly and doing things. Everything has consequences and it's serious. And we can't just go doing crazy stuff like all that just uh just worked so well um but i i do still like it, we're, like we're really early um i'm expecting and i don't think this is an unfair expectation based on how good the last game was but the gameplay is is entire it feels it's, it's the same as the last game so far right the combat it's the, i have the same skill trees i mean some of the specific abilities might be different or whatever but it's so fundamentally the same same two weapons right um it has to do something that's like a third weapon or you know that that's Mjolnir, a big right? change i that's kind of like the assumption right like we're gonna take that hammer right um but something that fundamentally um changes the gameplay because otherwise it's like it's just a sequel that's an extent it's more like a dlc not in scope but in like gameplay and that's what that's the one thing that I'm I'm curious to see what they have in store at some point because even in the first game in 2018 you don't even get the Blades of Chaos until like the last third or fourth of the game right um so I'm wondering like if that moment what it will be or how that's going to work because um, right now the combat it's, it's exactly the same in fact it's, a, it's slightly more basic because we're so early on but I'm curious how that evolved because right now to me, that is what's what would keep it at like a nine out of ten instead of a ten. Is that like yeah, but it's the same combat, same exact. Like the enemies are the same generic things. So like, what's going to be the thing that propels it? That's what I'm. Again, we're early. I'm sure it'll happen, but we'll see. Well, and thematically, the thing I'm most interested in is the first game. A lot of that to me was so Freya. Freya was overbearing to some extent with Balder, which led to mm -hmm. a lot of his issues. And 
even upon his death, she failed to take accountability for who he was and instead levied all that anger at Kratos, right? <laughs> and obviously there's parallels there between the, the parenting aspects of her and Kratos. Yeah. And in this game, I wonder if the exploration is going to be, you know, you hear Mimir talking to Kratos about, like, meet him in the middle, be there for him, or else you're going to lose him entirely. Yep. Let him walk and his, his main antagonist okay. right now is somebody who didn't care at all for his kids in Thor. Yep. And exactly. I wonder how that's going to play out and what the parallels there are going to end up being by the time this story unfolds. And yeah, I, I love that too, that they're, they're, they're paralleling the, the parental aspect of Kratos and how that mm -hmm. affects not only him, but Atreus as well. Uh, because we went from an over-nurturing parent who failed to take blame for her actions to somebody who isn't even not taking blame. He just doesn't give a damn about anything or anyone. And yeah, I want to see how Kratos sees himself in his worst times through those characters. That's what I'm excited about. Yeah. Uh, it's like, there's just so much that happened in those first couple hours. Um, I didn't expect it all to be like quite so like, boom, like let's, let's we're in it. Let's go. Um, but I'm sorry. But I think it needed it, it because of yes. how similar it is gameplay wise. It needed something to capture yeah. and be like, get ready for something more than that. Or else, like, to your point, it would have felt like, am I just playing the sequel? I mean, am I just playing DLC and not the sequel? Mm -hmm. The next level or whatever. Yeah, guess... and we haven't even gotten to, like, the new areas and the new enemy types and all yeah. of that stuff, which is cool. That's what else. I hope that, so far, actually, like you mentioned, there's three different bosses that are pretty different, and so hopefully they continue with, um, you know, a wider variety of enemy and bosses throughout. Um, but I was really happy to, uh, to get back to Brock and Sindri, who, like, Somehow, in the midst of all that other stuff we just talked about, these two are just, like, making me laugh in their little house because you're tracking mud in and stuff. And I don't know. They're, they're great. Dude, I would watch, a, like, if there was a 10-episode a order of, like, two-minute shorts of Brock and Sindri at their stations <laughs> yeah. with random characters coming in and dealing with them, mm -hmm. God, it'd be so good. Yeah, and I think that's what makes God of War special. The new, the new, uh, these two new games, is that the original games, sure they had side characters who were kind of interesting to some extent, but the main character and main focus was Kratos, and even then he wasn't that great of a character at that time. But with these two new entries, Kratos, obviously his journey and everything is captivating, but they've introduced a host of side characters. Like I love Amir, I love Brock and Sindri. But to your point, like. Even in the last game, Balder and Freya were super interesting. Uh, now we have Thor and Odin for captivating. And the thing I'm most excited about with the video game medium in general is that Ryan Hurst is an actor who hasn't had a whole lot of star power given to him. I mean, he was in Remember the Titans, he was in Sons of Anarchy, and he was in Walking Dead. Sons of, Anarchy, say... Sons of Anarchy was popular, but I think it was more of a niche popular than super popular. And then Plus by the time he came to Walking Dead, it. it was already past its zeitgeist. And, and with this, I'm... he was, I have to say, it, criminally underused in The Walking Dead, by the way. Just, yeah. I hate, like, I, I wanted more for him on that because his character, like, basically didn't even get to talk. That was kind of the nature of the character and didn't get to see his face or do much of anything, just except be a brute. So, so that was a bummer. Uh, like I said, I'm campaigning. I want him as Sabretooth in the MCU. Um, oh. The Gears of War movie, yeah, I'll yeah, for that one too. <laughs> exactly. I I just think he's such a good actor, and I'm glad actors are willing to come into the video game medium because they see the yeah. potential of the performances they can put in. Yeah. I mean, the actor. I'm sorry, I'm, I don't know his name, but the actor from West Wing, which everyone recognizes his voice, the fact that he's doing a video game is pretty impressive too. As somebody who's never done 
any before, uh, which which is awesome. And yeah, now we have uh, video games going to live action and actors that are popular, like Pedro Pascal doing mm-hmm. Joel and stuff. It's it's so dope. I'm excited to see where God of War Ragnarok goes. I think the next time we'll talk about it this in depth, just to avoid spoilers for people, will be our spoiler cast, which we're definitely going to yeah. do. Because we won't um, be able to stay on exact pace like we did today. Exactly. It's funny that we had the okay, we'll get two hours in, and that's pretty yeah. much it. But um, the one thing I will say is because it, it is super mostly positive, I am worried a little bit about the armor systems and stuff. Of It might be a little too Assassin's Creed in the worst of ways of, like, I hope that doesn't become overbearing of, like, I'm getting all of these loot pickups. It hasn't been that, and I don't expect it to be that. Um, I just, it's, it's just a worry I have. Other than that, I'm, I'm stoked about it. And it's interesting that I think what will eventually be my two top games of the year, and probably yours too, are Elden Ring and God of War. And I think the difference there is that God of War might give me a narrative experience that I rarely have in video games. And Elden Ring gave me a gameplay experience I've never had in video games. And I'm going to see how those kind of weigh each other out gonna be so hard it's gonna be like picking your favorite pet or kid or something <laughs> yeah one a and one b kind of thing yeah, um yeah. but the fact that we've got both of them in the same calendar year is super dope you know what the crazy thing is dom the day of recording this is november 11th we could be playing starfield today too ah uh, yeah well can you imagine that would have been wild <laughs> i wouldn't even know like what do i i probably would have been like burned through the god of war story you know exactly and then get and then to starfield which would be tough to yeah, I don't know. That'd be, that'd be yeah. I'm, I'm glad, glad we don't have to make that, make that decision. That. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, can't wait to play more. Thank you guys for listening. If you can, please follow us on YouTube at Controlled Intro. Search that right up. will pop up. Subscribe. Hit the bell notification so you never miss an upload. Like the video. Leave us a comment. Let us know how far you've gotten God of War Ragnarok. And if you're not planning on playing it, are you looking forward to Starfield and diving in for hundreds of hours? Other than that, you can go on Twitter. You can follow us collectively at CTRLINT. It's Controlled Intro. abbreviated. Individually, I'm at Jared Weich, J-E-R-R-A-D-W-Y-C-H-E. It's my name. And you can follow Dom at Obi Dom Kenobi, but the O in OB is the number zero, not the letter O. Other than that, podcast services around the globe, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all of that good stuff. We'll catch you guys next week with, you know what? I'm going to officially add it to the docket and tease it. Next week, we're casting the live-action Gears of War movie. Oh, yes. Let's the way we're going to do it is I'm going to make a list of characters. I'm going to send you that. We're both going to individually cast them, and then we'll come back next week and talk about it as our topic of the show, unless something crazy happens. But let's even I, I cast, you know, directors or something. That's, oh yeah, director and uh, uh, yeah, I like that. Um, thank you guys for listening. We'll catch you guys next week with episode two thirty. Wait, not two thirty. Two fifty. What, what episode are we on? Fifty something. Two fifty nine next week. This will be two fifty eight. See you guys then. Bye.